and welcome to another episode of At War, the podcast by the Conflict Law Center. Today, as part of our Israel and Palestine Symposium, we are very happy to have with us Zadar Khuro. Zadar Khuro is a journalist who has worked extensively in print and electronic media. He is the, also the host of a talk show on Dawn News and a columnist at the newspaper. Thank you so much for joining us. Most welcome. I must say, I love the, I love the posters in the background. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to be constantly distracted trying to read them. But yeah, yeah, yeah we wish we could have you in our studio so you could see. That would have been lovely, but yeah, maybe next time. Yeah, inshallah, next time. So I wanted to, before when we've been talking about this, you mentioned that the first column you ever wrote for Dawn was on the Israel-Palestine conflict in the 1990s. And the last one you wrote for Dawn was also on this conflict. So three decades yeah. later. And I wanted to ask you what you've seen in those three decades in terms of has the narrative shifted at all? How has it changed between the global north and the global okay. south? Okay. So just a small pedantic correction. The first article I wrote, it wasn't for Dawn, but but it was on okay. Israel. Well, no, no, that's all right. It was for another publication. But yeah, the core of your question uh, remains. Um, if you ask me what has changed, right? So have you ever seen that movie, Ridley Scott's film, Kingdom of Heaven? I have um, not. Okay, so it's about the Crusades and it's about the end of the Crusades, actually, when uh, Salahuddin bin Ayyubi in 1187 AD liberates uh, Jerusalem from the from the Crusaders. And right at the end of the movie, uh, the protagonist goes and asks uh, Salahuddin, what is Jerusalem worth? And he says nothing. And he mm-hmm. walks away and then he turns around and he says everything. So what has changed? Nothing mm-hmm. and everything. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I mean, um, look, we we can see clearly, as we have always seen, um, I think almost uninterrupted, there have been there have been nuances, there have been variations. But we see obviously the unstinting support of most Western capitals, at least the most powerful Western capitals of the world for Israel. We see their um, entirety of their mainstream media um, operating in tandem with that. Uh, in fact, um, you know, acting like, uh, the spokespeople for the Israeli Defense Forces, for yeah. the Israeli government. So that hasn't changed. What has changed? What has changed is the audience, right? Um, mm-hmm. No one's buying it anymore. And um, that's that's not just an empty claim. That is the proof of it is on the streets of those very same Western capitals. The proof of it is when hundreds of thousands of people come out in, in France, in the United States, um, for Palestine wearing kofayas, waving yeah. Palestinian flags. That was inconceivable to me, not just 30 years ago, last year. Um, okay. During the previous year, I mean, I, 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 I think possibly I speak for many of us when I say that. I mean, that, that took me completely by surprise. I mean, I think Generation Z has a lot, role, lot of role, a, a major um, a credit goes there, you know, because so much of the narrative, so much of the propaganda has been absolutely rejected. I mean, we see that in Germany, where they literally criminalized the mention of, of Palestine and, and you know, the waving of the flag. We had people coming out. Nevertheless, nevertheless, mm-hmm. right? They arrested one man standing with a Palestinian flag and the next rally, there were a hundred people holding a giant Palestinian flag. Who are you going to arrest, right? In France, um, Macron is now saying the same things that he was getting people arrested for three weeks ago. So it's not just even a public pressure um, that 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 tends to build up. I mean, everywhere except in the United States of America, you know, where 
um uh, the president uh, joe biden you know just yesterday was against again repeating um israeli lies as as a statement of fact about the al shifa hospital about the beheaded babies i mean that was the first fake news that uh went viral in this entire conflict so yeah nothing has changed and at the same time everything has i i think we have reached a tipping point at least in terms of the public narrative i would never have imagined it aisha ji i mean in all my years i i i could not have seen this coming and um in amidst all the horror if there is any hope that is where you find it. okay and why do you think that is why do you think it's changed so much since like 2008 when we had operation cast lead and 2014 when we had operation protect the bench what's different now in 2023 compared to even But, as you say 2022 Well I mean okay so I think the scale of the destruction the very fact that um you know I mean the the the, the imagery is 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 horrific you can't but you can't look away none of us can look away and yeah. um, I I think that the, one of the major reasons is that the whole world is seeing it right mm-hmm. thus you have a a generation a global generation um who are digital natives right I mean people like me I mean we just like this sort of just happened to us they grew up with it right so yeah. Um, yeah. you you see you see a trillion dollar propaganda machine defeated by tweets and tiktoks i mean who could have seen that coming yeah, yeah and and it's like how can you funnel that much money into this infamous hasbara campaign and have it taken down by teams literally just sitting there i think they got lazy i think they got lazy aisha um, because they're so used to a, a, a an easy ride right they're just so used to just saying oh that's anti semitism and then everybody shuts up right we come yeah, to that yeah. I, i know you want to talk about that as well yeah. um they, and when you're too used to an easy ride you get fat and you get lazy and you get sloppy mm-hmm. right i mean it's the same it's the same with their military i mean their military i mean since i think what 7, 1973 um has only really been um bombing you know houses and, and settlements and refugee camps schools bakeries so on and so forth from a safe distance using american supplied bombs or shooting children yeah yeah or, or shooting shooting journalists like shireen abu akleh uh, in the back of their heads or running uh, bulldozers over um, 20 something peace activists like rachel cory and also i think that the utter barbarity of the israeli state and and um, you know is being exposed because there you have i mean you, you have etamir ben gavir i mean actually fighting the case four settlers who burned a child ali and then had a party saying where's ali we're cooking ali ali is on the grill right i mean this is just one example that i'm giving you there are hundreds there are thousands and people can see it no yeah. amount of um, lipstick on a pig can make people realize that it's not a pig it's still a pig it has lipstick on it yes but but very much a sewer Yeah and it, and it's so interesting because now every day I open BBC News and I open Al Jazeera and Dawn so those are kind of the three things I look at and I I read the paper from the New York Times it's so interesting to me how much the and I think Norman Finkelstein said this he said the BBC and the western media outlets they read like an idea of press release and he made it saying oh the Hamas run ministry of health says that this many people have died and you're like okay yeah. what the need to you know insinuate that these numbers are in some way fabricated yeah which is uh, that's okay so that whole hamasan health ministry thing is is actually hilarious i was just watching mehdi hasan 
um, speaking with um, um, some spokesperson of the Israeli government, and he was again like, like, how can you trust these numbers? And they're like, right. well, if you look at the previous operations, um, your numbers and their numbers are pretty much the same. I mean, minus yeah. plus minus like 12, 20 people. Uh, Joe Biden, you know, um, uh, who's I think about to lead the Democratic Party to a historic defeat. But Joe Biden himself said that, oh, this is the Hamas and Health Ministry. Dude, your own State Department in over 21 memos has cited as a credible source that same thing. So this is, look, this is obfuscation. These are distractions. And yeah. they are completely obvious now. You see, you, you just, you, there is, um, you can see through them so clearly. I mean, you're talking about CNN, right? I mean, the IDF's propaganda is so laughable that sometimes I can't tell them away from, uh, tell them apart from a parody account. You know, yeah. I, I think I'm watching a Monty Python or a Saturday Night Live yeah. skit. You know, I mean, there's the guy legitimately pointing at a calendar and being like, "This is Hamas. This is Hamas. This is dude. It's Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, uh, Sunday, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday." Yeah. I mean, get a grip. You can't get an Arabic translator, and then CNN takes that entire chunk and runs it without comment. And by the way, if you if you were to go on the website right now, you will note that they have very quietly removed that whole calendar part from it without an editor's note. Okay. Oh, mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and my, my favorite part is that these are the same people, the same organizations that, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had the, I won't say pleasure, but I've had the opportunity to attend, you know, seminars, you know, sometimes in which these people participate or organized by them. And it's all about, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of expression yeah. and the importance yeah. of accuracy in journalism. And I'm just like, shut up. Shut <laughs> up. I mean, you stand utterly exposed. You stand utterly discredited. Yeah. They're Radio Rwanda in, in, in suits and nice makeup. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. the only analogy I can think of. They are enablers yeah. of genocide. And I think um, to to look at that from an international perspective, it, the fact that this conflict comes so hot in the heels of the Russia-Ukraine one offers oh, yeah. us so parallels of the same kind of instance. And I, I find it so frustrating that I can go on the main international law blog and see four articles about whether the WO refugee camp attack was proportionate or disproportionate. Yeah. Of course, the law allows for a lot of gray areas that that is the nature of international law. But if it was Assad, if it was Putin doing this, there would be zero articles. There would be zero calls for nuance Absolutely. about whether that was a disproportionate or proportionate attack. Of course, Absolutely. 200 people died, it was disproportionate. We also know that this army lies <laughs> very constantly. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, track record, track record yeah. is something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and moving moving on to the um, anti-Semitism question, because I also want to discuss the conflation of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. And I think Adam Schatz recently wrote a, a fantastic piece in the London Review of Books where he was talking about how invoking the Holocaust for Israel has become kind of an ideological uh, iron yeah, in which yeah. it can shield against any criticism of its con conduct. So what do you think about that, especially given the, the definition of anti-Semitism seems to be lowering by the year? <laughs> At this point in time, saying that stop the genocide is apparently anti-Semitism. Right. Um, yeah. The problem is that when you overuse a certain tool, it loses its efficacy. Um, yeah. I will say without reservation that Israel currently is the greatest reason for anti-Semitism in the world and the greatest disgrace to the memory of the Holocaust. Yeah. And, and to the very real, to other uh, Jewish brothers and sisters who were murdered by the Nazis. Yeah. Um, they weaponized it. And, and, and I'm not saying this. 
Um, there, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews across the world on the streets saying this. I have mm -hmm. heard from Holocaust survivors, I've heard from the children of Holocaust survivors, from their children's children, saying not in our name. I've spoken yeah. to them, I've interviewed with them, I've, I've interviewed them, I've seen wizened rabbis, you know, in full mm -hmm. religious regalia uh, speaking out. If I have seen Jews being attacked anywhere right now, I'm seeing them attacked in Israel. I'm seeing um, Haredi neighborhoods with Orthodox Jews. I've seen them, them being beaten. Um, no one buys it anymore. I, yeah. I, I don't think. Yeah. And, and those who do, who use this argument, are not using it in good faith. You mm. see, so I don't, I do not even engage with that argument any anymore um, because it is a distraction at this point. It is, it is only to muddy the waters. And at this yeah. point, um, anyone favoring semantics over substance is not doing it by accident. They're yeah. not doing it because they want an academic debate. They're doing it because they are running interference, providing smoke screens for Israel's genocidal actions and war crimes. Mm. So this, this trope, and you know, and I mean, on that point, I mean, the greatest, the first lie that the Zionists ever told was this, that Zionism is Judaism. Judaism is a thousands yeah. of is a millennia old religion. Zionism is a political, is a toxic, nationalistic, militaristic political ideology that is not even 200 years old. And anti-Semites are the natural allies of Zionists. And again, I'm not saying this. In 1897, when Theodor Herzl wrote the Jewish state that Juden start, he writes in his pamphlets that the most contributions to the Jewish immigration fund will not come from European Jews because most West European Jews thought these guys were insane. It was the yeah. East European Jews who didn't have any money to contribute anyway. They were suffering pogroms. He said that the most money will come from Christian anti-Semites who would like nothing better than to rid uh, yeah. Europe of Jews. James Arthur Balfour, right, of the infamous Balfour yeah. Declaration, yeah. was a fundamentalist Christian Protestant. He hated yeah. Jews. Mm. And then you have this, and I mean, take a look at Netanyahu, right? Now, I don't believe that Netanyahu actually has any ideology. I believe that he is an opportunist and I believe that he is um, quite literally a psychopath. But mm -hmm. um, who's his best friend internationally in Europe right now is Viktor Orban. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You think Orban likes Jews? He does mm -hmm. not. He is as anti-Semite as he comes. Their alliance is based on their mutual hate of, uh, well, you know, everyone else. And yeah. also they both have fascist, dictatorial, psychopathic tendencies. Even if you look at, say, right now, um, there was that march, pro-Israel march in uh, Washington, D.C. Many of the Christian pastors who spoke there are on record saying that Hitler was sent by God to drive the Jews to their homeland. Why do they want the Jews driven to their homeland? Because they believe yeah. that this is how you fulfill the end times prophecy. So you see this unholy alliance. I cannot define it in any other terms. Between Zionists, between Christian fundamentalists, and between the right wings across the world. I mean, why on earth are uh, pro-Hindutva uh, uh, groups and, and people in India supporting Israel? It is because they, just, they both seem to, hate, to happen to hate Muslims. So they, 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 yeah. they, they ally on that thing. These are lines of convenience, of course. They won't mm. last very long. They'll, they'll last so long as the wind uh, blows in a certain direction. But um, to address you, I'm sorry, I, I go on, I tend to go yeah. on. The, uh, to address your original que uh, question, um, it doesn't work because now they're calling Jews anti-Semites. I mean, where does it end? 
right? I read an article in Jerusalem Post, I believe it was Jerusalem Post, saying that, oh, we don't even consider these guys Jews. You know, mm -hmm. so what you're now you're excommunicating your own people. Yeah, yeah. I've even read an article, Aisha, amazingly enough, and, and I had to like read it three, four times. I had mm -hmm. to check the website, make sure I'm not reading the onion or, or, or some kind of parody <laughs> website. There's yeah. there are actual pieces saying hey, you know, the Nazis at least had some humanity. Um, they were I, I swear to God, I'll send it to you. Um, that they actually had some humanity because, you know, they were ashamed of killing Jews. That's why they did it secretly in concentration camps. So mm -hmm. we have reached the stage in Zionist discourse in which they're saying, yeah, Nazis ko bhi to samjho. So, yeah. I mean, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> you, know, you know, the thing is, you don't have to do anything to demolish their propaganda. They're doing it all on their own. Those whom mm -hmm. the gods destroy, they first make insane. Yeah, and, it, and it's so interesting, this whole play that the Palestinians are Hitler's pupils, because even when they looked in Ben-Gurion's letters, it was exactly that, that they were just like, they're exactly like Hitler. Uh, they wanted to work, you know, they they look at what the Nazis did. Even that finding of Mein Kampf in the children, child's bedroom, it, it was oh <laughs> insane. Yeah, um, yeah and, and utterly uncreased, right? As if it's yeah. just... <laughs> I mean, if anybody has anything in common with, with the Nazis and Hitler, and, and I mean, I could draw you a hundred parallels. It's, it's, it's the Zionist state of Israel. Yeah. Uh, when so I look at Gaza, I, I see the, I see the Warsaw ghetto. Exactly. Exactly. I was just going to refer to that. Because... Now, had, had the Warsaw ghetto, the Jews in the Warsaw ghetto, if they had tunnels and they could come out and they could attack the Nazis, do you think they wouldn't have? And how would history have yeah. recorded? Yes. Yeah, but but apparently that's what they did. They were trying to build tunnels in the war So the yeah. parallels are really incredibly stark. The parallels is right there. Like history doesn't repeat itself, Aishaji, but um, it does rhyme. Yeah. But it does rhyme. Yeah. And it's rhyming right now. You can hear it. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting because a lot of people say that power corrupts, but also persecution corrupts. And so you end up becoming your your oppressor and, and you almost don't realize it. And I'm like, I don't understand how how you can't realize it. I don't understand how uh, people have a GDP of 55,000 USD a year when a few miles away in Gaza, you have $1,250 uh, per capita income a year. How you can possibly act like you're the one who is being victimized in this, but but it's a ploy and it's kind I, of I think, working. I think, I think in their heart of hearts, they know that they're, not, that they're wrong. Yeah. You see, that sort of thing takes a toll on, 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 on your soul. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that sort of hate, it's it's a cancer of the soul. Right? Yeah. And you yeah. consume them, but not before they consume too many innocent lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I was actually even reading, I mean, I, I don't want to cite it too, too uh, specifically because I'll have to look into this. That even Holocaust survivors in, in um, Israel, by a large part of the, the Zionist uh, uh, regime, were treated sort of like as a little bit inferior because these are the weak, effeminate Jews. We will never be like them. We will be the tough guys. We will murder hundreds and thousands if we, if we need to. You know, and, and let's also bear in mind that most of these guys there, I mean, what are they? Ashkenazi Jews. They're like East European Jews. So they suffered, yeah. you know, like the worst of the worst. Yeah, um, yeah, and and then definitely they took that mindset there, and then they, they mm. transferred it on. To, uh, do they see it? I don't know if they see it. it. Doesn't really even matter to me if they see it. It just matters to me that the rest of the world sees it. And the rest yeah. Of the world sees it. Um, so there was this article that someone told me about by Yuri Avneri called Tommy's Grandma. I don't know if you've if you read that, but it was Not about. This one. 
Yeah, he talks about, I can't remember which um, Israeli prime minister it was, but he saw an image of a woman in Rafa and he just, and it was a Palestinian woman and he just, some part of him spoke out and he just said, oh, that looks like my grandmother. And one of his grandmothers perished in the Holocaust. It was a very, very famous story. And the Hebrew saying is, um, sometimes you buy your world in one moment. And he was talking about how that the actual you know, he couldn't hide the truth and the truth came out in that second. And then later on, he had to backpedal and be like, well, one of my grandmothers didn't perish in the Holocaust. So maybe I was talking about her. But but the fact that even them when they're, when, you know, when they're confronted with it, they do see the resemblances. Well, how can you not? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's 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 day outside, right? Now I yeah. can close my eyes, I can draw my yeah. dream, I can, I can like put on, you know, dark glasses, but part of me yeah. knows that it's what night. No? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know that the sun is shining. Yeah, yeah. I, and I also wanted to ask you about the international community's reaction to this. I mean, we—it's been completely expected from the West. We knew that the US would veto a ceasefire. We know that these humanitarian pauses, whatever is the term of art, humanitarian pause, whatever that means. Um, but then we've also seen the Arab countries and the Muslim world come together and be entirely impotent in their reaction to this. Um, yeah, as usual. So what do you make of that? And what do you make of us living in these countries? I mean, we're not one of those living in in a country which is, you know, normalizing ties with Israel. But how can we galvanize and force these governments to put pressure points on? I don't think you can, because these are all unrepresentative governments. I mean, in, in, in many ways, Pakistan included. We don't really have a representative government at this point in time. Um, and even if we did... I'm I'm not sure what difference it would make apart from condemnation. I mean, Pakistan's ambassador has been vocal, but again, words are wind, right? I mean, what are we going to do, right? Mm. We're we're very far geographically removed, and and we are not part of the sort of geopolitical next uh, access that can affect Israel. Uh, the neighboring states. I mean, my God, all we've seen. I mean, we've seen Erdogan, you know, saying a great deal of stuff, but there's still trade yeah. going on. For Saudi Arabia, I think they're just upset because this is ruining their party, their coming out party. You know, they just want like things to be normalized. They want to contain Iran. They want to make money. They want to like, you know, have Shakira hold a concert while, you know, thousands are dying in Gaza. Symbolism and yeah, the image yeah. right there. Um, the UAE was spearheading the normalization initiatives. You can't mm-hmm. expect much more from them, you know. So it's, but here, you be, I mean, as just, you know, dismally impotent the 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 arab worlds are the arab world is i think that if somebody has taken a stance it's it's uh, many latin american countries i mean for yeah. their own for their own historic reasons right because they know yeah. they know what's up right yeah. i mean um, up until very recently the us was staging coups i mean even in venezuela and so on and so mm-hmm. forth so they know what it is like to be ground slowly to dust under the boot heels of empire Right, you see indigenous people. You see, you see largely the entire global south, and the south will remember. Mm-hmm. South will remember this. Yeah. Um, the implications of it are going to be staggering, though, because um, I know people who were sympathetic to Ukraine. Right, I myself mm-hmm. was, um, mm-hmm. but now you know, and even then we questioned, right? Because Sky News is running a whole TV package on how to build a Molotov cocktail. Now imagine if a Palestinian channel had done that. Oh my God, they're like terrorists, you know, all of that stuff will happen, right? So we saw the hypocrisy even then, but again, it's a country, it's being invaded. Um, Now I think no one really cares. 
another dangerous uh, side effect of all of this is going to be that all it shows us, and this was obviously always evident, but we like to sort of pretend that there is such a thing as civilization and a rules-based order when nothing of the sort really exists, right? Um, is that the next time a country with the power to get away with murder, mass mm. murder, does it? And the U.S. is like, oh my God, war crimes! Oh my God, human rights violations! And then be like, excuse me, and you are, yeah. right? What yeah. grounds do you have to do it tomorrow if Putin decides to level Kiev? Mm. There's going to be billions of people in the world who will be like, yeah, okay, and you know, anything good on TV yeah. for you on Netflix, you know? So, so these yeah. things are going to happen. So, uh, the last guest we had on the podcast. Um, he actually made a claim saying that you have the right if you if you claim that they have the right to self defense, they have the right to resistance against an occupying force. You also have the right to provide them with moral and material assistance under certain general assembly uh, resolutions, which we might argue that codify um, international law. So then, why are you arming the Palestinians to the teeth? Who is you in this case? Sorry. When you say like you have the right to uh, arm them, arm them with moral and material support, the international community, whoever oh, takes the international community, right? Yeah, I mean, Iran has supplied them uh, and, and cooperated with them, but then now you see, I mean, like when it's also when we use terms like international community, I mean, don't we really just mean you know the USA, Canada, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand? I mean, and this today, goes to my what I wanted to ask you in the kind of spirited debate we had on the phone when we were planning this podcast about international law. Oh, and yeah. I know that's very critical, and I don't blame you for being critical about it. But the in in terms of international law, states are juridically equal, which doesn't make sense given their power imbalances. But there's no other way to do it. You're an equal, you're a sovereign state. Why can't you go then and arm Palestine? Right. And ar- but by arming Palestine, I don't mean arming Hamas. I mean, arming the Palestinian people, um, just like the Western world came together and armed Ukraine. And so the question isn't of international law and its double standards, because even if, as you say, OK, international law doesn't work, then what? what like okay. what? Will- as far as international law goes, I think it's one of those things that's nice to talk about, but it doesn't really exist. Um, in, in, in any meaningful in a, I'm not saying that there aren't statute books filled with like you know things I'm not saying that people don't get degrees in it and I'm not saying it doesn't provide gainful employment it my does. entire life is just I'm sorry I think it's one of those things that is powerful against the powerless and powerless against the powerful and I mean I don't even need to quantify that right I mean you know the list of those indicted by the International Criminal Court you know the 99% yeah. of them are like black right yeah. All African. I mean, fine. There was the Bosnian war crimes tribunal. They got Milosevic. They got Ratko uh, uh, Karadzic. Karadzic, yeah, Ratko yeah. Karadzic. Got those guys. But I mean, um, Henry Kissinger is a greater war criminal. So is George W. Bush. So is Joseph Biden. Right? Nobody's yeah. ever going to prosecute them. I mean, if Putin can be rightly, I may add, uh, charged with war crimes. Um, yeah, Netanyahu has killed five, over 5,000 babies in one month. Putin hasn't managed that score in the last, what, two years? Has it been two years? It's been two years. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, um, if you're going to charge Putin, then charge yeah. Netanyahu. So it, it all comes down to, as the Urdu saying goes, jiski lati uski bes. Right? Whoever mm-hmm. has, has, has power um, can impose their will. And that is the lesson that the global community is going to walk away from. 
walk away with from this. That so long as you have the power, you can do whatever it is that you want. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I see it. I do know, and I would I would actually like to like to defer to your opinion on this because look, I have a cynical worldview about this. I've explained to you my reasonings. Is there any scope for international law here? I, I'd like to ask you that, and I'm genuinely asking. This is not a gotcha question. I, 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 no, I, I want to know because I was talking to Sam Husseini, the journalist, and uh, he was like, you know, invoke the genocide convention. I know that there are international lawyers. Uh, talking about it, I know that Spain's Podesta party is talking about it. I think so is Sinn Féin in in, yeah. in Ireland. Um, how how does that work? Um, so, in terms of international accountability, first of all, I would say that I do. I I'm a war lawyer, so I look at the UN Charter, I look at the laws of war, and I do look at the Geneva Conventions and find them to be incredibly, incredibly inspiring documents. The this was after the Second World War when the world had you know, seen so much slaughter, so many of the tragic consequences of war. And when you read what states have agreed to do for other servicemen and for other people's civilians, I do think that they offer a lot of protection. At the same time, we had additional protocols to them in 1977 after the Vietnam War, because we saw what happened in Vietnam and the international community said, let's come together and let's create new provisions, new protections for war. And as part of that, the Global South made sure this was 1977 compared to 1949. In the middle, you had decolonization. And so you had all of these states emerge and they wanted to have protection and legitimacy for them when they're fighting against racist occupations, uh, against brutal occupations, racist regimes, and for their fight to self-determination. And they changed the law in 1977. They included a provision. It's not yet custom, fine, but it means that slowly we have to get there. The issue is the lack of capacity. Even now, I'm trying to look for international lawyers in the global south who are saying anything. And again, as you said, apart from Latin America, I am not finding that much. Um, Palestine is do making a great case for itself legally. There are some Arab states helping it. The OIC will come together, fine. But you don't have the capacity that you have in the global north because over as decolonization happened, all of our best went over to those countries and, you know, the brain drain, all of that kind of stuff. So that is part of it. But at the same time, when I look at the laws of war and look at how they should be changed, 100% the P5 system has to go. 100%. Why the hell is France on there? Who are they yeah. today? Who are they? Yeah, exactly. Right? Give that what power to them. For that matter, I mean, like, you know, I mean, they're, they're batshit crazy. All the, or the who? The UK, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, not, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's not even a serious country anymore, man. So that needs to change, right? And give that power to the General Assembly and let's see things happen. But in terms of the actual laws of war, there are certain things that should be changed. But I'm pretty sure that as, as we were saying on the phone when you were like, burn it all down. I was like, burn it down and recreate what? I'm sure you're going to have so many of the same things again. In terms yeah. of... Yeah. Okay. So I will concede. Yeah. yeah. Concede that it is important to have that framework, right? Um, it is. It is important. I mean, it is important to have something to aspire towards at the very least, yeah. right? Or some kind of document that you can be like, you know, here, you know, I mean, like, take a look at this, right? So, um, yeah. but ultimately, you know, it is ultimately, of course, we understand just a piece of paper, and I mean, it's not only just a question of capacity for me, it's also a question of um, efficacy. 
right mm. i mean look, i'll give a very very like very sort of close to home example i'm sitting here right i commit a crime okay the court yeah. sends me notice and i just sort of take it and i just kind of sort of tear it in half and i throw it away because i know that the court can't enforce it yeah the reason that i the reason that i would tremble if i got a court notice it'd be like okay if i ignore this the cops are going to show up they're going to handcuff me they're going to take me down you know it's going to be unpleasant jails up you know dirty dingy places don't want to be there right um here the countries that have the power to get away with murder again literally yeah. literally i'm not saying yeah. metaphorically literally mass murder yeah. they know what's going to happen is the you know, is is the icc is not going to send a bailiff down to the white house right zip tie joe biden you know the, for a bag right actually has on its books a law called the hague invasion yeah. act which i know invade the hague fine yeah i mean if that's not gangsterism what is right you know i yes. i i tell, i tell the supreme court of pakistan that hey man if you send someone after me i'm going to send my boys they're going to shoot you up yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. i will mean, come on right so, so i yeah. will say i will say about that in terms of international criminal law it has largely been a case of victim justice so even the nuremberg trials the trials the tokyo trials we never saw an american in the docket we never saw anyone from the allied powers in the docket and that was it was a huge display of victim justice right um since then we've seen um the rwanda tribunal and the tribunal for the former yugoslavia and now we have the icc in terms of the anti african bias that's definitely there at the same time it is because a lot of these countries then refer their own people to the hague yeah. which the west doesn't do so they'll okay. come and talk to like the guy before me yeah he definitely Charles Taylor Charles Taylor take him out exactly yeah that, right so you don't have that in the west so i i kind of will cut them a little bit of slack in that sense oh. the current oh. icc prosecutor i have a lot of issues with he deprioritized the crimes of the americans when he's looking into afghanistan which is what the last prosecutor was very very bold about including and she also opened the investigation into palestine we have a very very rare case where we have icc jurisdiction whether we're going to see anything come of it is going to be the real test of the icc now mm. um in terms of otherwise we also have the international court of justice which is giving an advisory opinion on the issue of the occupation and the question is framed in such a way that it's definitely going to give an opinion about whether it is an apartheid state which now we've had so many reports coming out in recent in recent years from human rights organizations saying there is a part it is an apartheid regime yeah. and it's committing the crime of apartheid as well um, south, africa, south africa says you're an apartheid state it's, you should listen yeah yeah um, I don't want to use the G word ever. Uh, a lot of people are like, "Is this genocide? Is that genocide?" I'm always like, "It's almost never genocide because of the special intent required." Here, there is a very strong case for genocide, yeah. and people keep on saying, "Oh, not enough people have died." You don't need, you don't even need one person to die for genocide. It's the intent to destroy the group and the and state. by Yuval Gallant and Daniel Hagari Netanyahu even members of the Knesset on day 1 indicated day 1 that day 1 again so, again you see like i've seen a lot of people like i mean for example the atlantic the publication the atlantic um 
the editor uh, of uh, in chief of which by the way is a former volunteer is highly police guard so i mean i don't know mm. that covers their coverage at all but they have been leading the charge on this you oh, know you can't technically call it a genocide right. you see? so yeah. again yeah. you see that's that's not these are not good faith arguments these are bad faith arguments but i will say about international criminal law that you have now universal jurisdiction so you have a thousand court cases open around the world against idf commanders so all of the all of the people who are pro palestine zippy livni had an arrest warrant against her in london which meant that she couldn't travel there which is like okay who cares she messes a summer in hyde park like yeah, doesn't I mean, yeah. but the point is to make you know to make it so these leaders can't travel around and go anywhere which is what they're doing currently to putin and we should also do to the idf so i understand your criticism <laughs> but i will have to defend my own job I, I I I concede your points, right? Look, I mean, I I'm I I do understand like the limitations of my my knowledge here, and I do understand that this is, I mean, it may not be okay to me. It's not the main battleground, right? But it is an yeah. important. It is an important battleground. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is um, a sort of uh, a war that's being fought on many fronts, and this is undoubtedly one front, if nothing else, if yeah. nothing else at all. At least it adds a degree of moral pressure, and. Mm-hmm. Any degree of pressure is better than no pressure at all. So yeah, yeah, and and so coming to that, if we're leaving aside international law, what else then do you see as like potential political pressure points, but also a political settlement of this of this conflict? What is the yeah, resolution? I don't know. I think that that I don't know. That I don't know. I don't know where this goes. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's um, it's clear that you know, it's. I mean, it's David David Goliath. Right. Yeah, yeah. They have rendered they have rendered Gaza uninhabitable. I mean, as as we all know, I don't even need to go into this. I mean, their entire plan is has always been from day one, from the Nakba itself, mm-hmm. to simply somehow get rid of all the uh, the Palestinians. Right, yeah. and they've been squeezing them, squeezing them, squeezing them, squeezing them. Right. So that's going to continue. I think it'll continue until um until the massive and unconditional support from the united states of america continues mm-hmm. that that i to me that is that is the one thing that is keeping israel going and i started out with a reference to the crusades so i'm going to circle back there right so that article that you mentioned the first article mm-hmm. that i wrote yeah was in fact a so i'm a bit of a nerd okay mm-hmm. i'm i'm a, i'm a, yeah. okay, I'm a huge nerd and I, and I just like i enjoy reading history and the more ancient the better so mm-hmm. I was reading about the Crusades, and it just struck me the incredible similarities between the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem and the modern-day state of Israel. I mean, not just the geography of it, the geopolitical structures surrounding it, the mm-hmm. divisions among the Muslims themselves. There were many who were making alliances, normalizing <laughs> with, uh, like, like, like Fatimid Egypt, for example. Right? I mean, I'm not going to go into too much into this. That's a whole another topic. Um, mm-hmm. And the Kingdom of Jerusalem was kept alive only by the constant influx of men and material from the West. Right. The moment that stopped, mm-hmm. the moment that ended, it collapsed under its own weight. It's the same with Israel. You see, I mean, even like these guys, like Benjamin Netanyahu, all these uh, Recep, Gal Gadot. I mean, these yeah. people have all changed their names from, you know, the European names to sound indigenous. They yeah. have, no, they, yeah, 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 yeah. Look it up, man. Just like, know. just like yeah. they raised Palestinian villages and built Jewish-sounding villages on 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 top of them. 
Their whole existence is a lie. Their entire culture is stolen. It is a culture based on on theft, lies, and appropriation. Um, it is not organic, and nothing organic in the long term. If you were to sort of go into Hegelian dialectics here, nothing so unnatural can ever survive, and its existence will always be violent. It will always, and it is that violence that it needs to sustain itself. You know, to provide its reason for existence. You see. Yeah. So, Israel for world jewelry has been, you know, they have been taught to place the idea of their safety in the idea of Israel. That mm-hmm. myth is breaking. And that is a death knell for them, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, America can keep this, this, this artificial state artificially sustained, like you keep a patient on a ventilator. You know, you can extend their life for indefinitely, right? Um, until and unless the, uh, the, the American policy changes. And it is a policy based on geopolitics and also on religious belief and fundamentalism. Make no mistake about that, right? Um, until that changes, um, this will continue. And mm. uh, blank check will continue. They will continue writing blank checks to Israel in the blood of Palestinian children. Yeah, sadly. And maybe mm. the the rise of Russia and China might, might change it that. Might. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, one hopes, one hopes. I mean, and on that point, man, you know, I mean, Again, a year ago, I was like vociferously condemning uh, Putin. Now I just really don't want to. Mm. Because it's simply because of the hypocrisy, not because I like Putin. He's the guy yeah. who, who leveled Aleppo, Idlib, right? All of that, Chechnya. Right? We know who he is. And yeah. uh, as far as China goes, man, I mean, you know, people are always like, oh, but, you know, just wait and see what they do. And I'll be like, as opposed to the guys who are already doing it, right? So yeah. you want to prioritize a hypothetical Mm. Over the actual, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I, I just can't do this kind of mental gymnastics. I'll, I'll pull something. Yeah, you're too old for these kind of gymnastics, Aisha. Yeah, I, and I, I think isn't as flexible as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference in attitude. I heard this um, a story from Africa, which was that every time the British come, we get a lecture. Every time the Chinese come, we get a hospital. And you're like, well, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah no, that's what it comes down to. And it's like, oh, China's not doing this out of the kindness mm-hmm. of their heart. They have their own strategic interests. Well, duh. I mean, <laughs> dude, come on, man. Come on. I mean, yeah. how does anyone say that with a straight face? Right. Yeah. Things, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I know that you happen at the meeting, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Sure. I mean, I could just end with like one of my favorite yeah, quotes. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to thumb things up, right? So I think somewhere in the 19th century or whenever, I don't know when, but there was an Italian Marxist, Antonio Gramisi, and mm. he, he he was like, the old is dead and the new has not yet been born. Mm. And in the, in the interim, a variety of morbid symptoms approach. And now is the time of monsters. And that's where we are in the time of monsters. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> that would be a nice line to close it on. Yeah, I love that line. Strong sense of foreboding with that. I'll text you. Yeah, yeah, please. Thank you so much for taking the Most time welcome. to talk. Thank you okay. for having me. Interesting discussion. And thank you to everyone for watching at home.